Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. So good to see you. Uh, very Merry Christmas to each uh, one of you. My name is Steve Perkins. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome if you're new with us today. It's so good to have you here. Believe it or not, we are already in the third week of what's historically been called uh, the Advent season in the church. Three out of four weeks, three candles lit today. And this time of year, we are anticipating the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, which we'll celebrate here at Northgate on Christmas. But as I said last week, we are also celebrating the second coming of Jesus, that one day at the end of human history, he will come and he will rule and reign on this earth. It is a time when every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in the meantime, the church's prayer continues to be as it has since its inception, come Lord Jesus. And when we think about Christmas uh, that way, I think it's all the more important because you see there really is only one way to God, isn't there? And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And I know as well as you do, there are people in your life and there are people in mine who don't yet have that relationship. They are far from God, perhaps through no fault of their own. What might happen if you took a risk and invited them to Northgate this Christmas, to one of our five identical services, ask the Holy Spirit who it is he wants you to invite, and then do it. He'll give you the courage to do it, and then, of course, as always, let us know when you're coming um, so that we can accommodate your guests. Also, as you heard in the announcements, the week after Christmas, so that's the weekend of December 28th, 29th, no worship services here at Northgate. That's our annual tradition since we started this church. However, we are breaking with tradition a little bit this year, and we will host an online service, our first ever online service. That'll be a great way, too, to introduce family and friends to our church and to a relationship with Jesus. Stay tuned for more information about that in the days ahead. Anyway, we continue our series today based on Jesus' greatest body of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we wrap up our study of this 2,000-year-old message, and I've entitled this morning's message, Watch Out. You know, some of the things that we believe in life to be true just aren't. In fact, if you Google, like I did this past week, things that just aren't true, you will find a long list of lies out there that many of us believe to be true. For example, the Great Wall of China. I was there in my 20s. And when I was there, someone, I'm not sure who it was, but someone told me, and maybe you've heard this as well, that the Great Wall of China is the only man-made object that you can see from space. Well, it turns out not to be true. Turns out you can see a lot of man-made objects from space. Uh, And in fact, the Great Wall of China is somewhat difficult to see from space. At least that's what Google says. How about this one? It's harmful to rescue. It's harmful to pick up a baby bird who has fallen out of its mother's nest and return the the baby bird to its nest because the mother 
will smell you on the bird and then abandon the bird. It's not true. I guess not only do birds have small brains, we talk about bird brains, but they also uh, have an incredibly poor sense of smell. And unless you snuggle with the bird for hours, your scent is not going to be recognizable to the mother bird, and she will not leave her young behind. Aren't you glad you came today? You're learning all kinds of things. One more. Maybe you've heard this one. Penguins mate for life. <laughs> I think I saw a movie about that. Um, it, again, not... Not true. It's wrong. While a handful of penguins are monogamous, most aren't. They move from partner to partner to partner. How very modern. (laughs) Some of the things we believe to be true just aren't true. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about today. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, Jesus speaking. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does bear good fruit is, that does not bear good fruit, rather, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let me remind you that we are coming again to the end of Jesus' message. It's three chapters long in the Gospel of Matthew. And in Preaching School 101, really anyone knows this who's studied preaching, the people in the know will tell you, whenever you are ending a message, end on a high note. End on an inspirational note, not a low one. Jesus doesn't follow that advice. He says, watch out at the end of his message. Before this passage, he teaches, and we touched on it last week, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Then after this passage about false prophets, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on this day, false prophets will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them, very plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus isn't fooling around here. And if you think like many people do that the Sermon on the Mount is a happy little message, given by a happy little blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, then you are mistaken. What we're going to read this morning is going to absolutely blow any of that kind of thinking out of the water. It's some serious stuff. It's not a way in a manger, no crib for a bed. It's stern. It's crazy stern. Watch out 
Jesus says. He says, my way, that is the way of the cross, is a narrow way. When in contrast, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, the world's way. Jesus says here, when it comes to following me, you have a choice. You can live the world's way or you can live the kingdom's way. He says, live the kingdom's way. And that kind of thinking made Jesus very unpopular because many of his listeners wanted Jesus to establish a political kingdom. They wanted him to drive out the Romans and the Romans who were in charge in Jesus' day. And after Jesus, because Jesus didn't do this, many Messiah wannabes hit the scene Many false prophets, and they tried to do just that. They tried to overthrow the Romans, and they failed miserably. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD along with the temple by these false wannabes, these wannabe messiahs trying to establish God's political kingdom on earth. And so Jesus says there are teachers coming in Israel. And then we learn later on in the New Testament, yes, even in the church, who are not on the narrow road, they are on the broad one. And they come in all shapes and sizes. For example, as in the first century, there are some today who preach a political Jesus. Conservatives have their version. The liberals have theirs. Different agendas with different outcomes, yes, but in both cases, they both sometimes cut Jesus short. For example, the conservatives are sometimes guilty of reducing Jesus down to nothing more than a moralistic champion of Judeo-Christian values, and liberals at times tend to reduce Jesus down to nothing more than an advocate for progressive social change. No reason to bother with changing hearts or saving people's souls, let's just change society. But Jesus cannot be reduced simply to, to being a moralistic religious zealot or a liberal activist. And why not? Well, because the religious conservatives of Jesus' day didn't like him all that much, and he didn't like them. And the liberal activists of Jesus' day did not care much for him either. He wasn't radical enough. He had no interest in overthrowing the government. Don't get me wrong, okay? Okay. People have political leanings. There's nothing wrong with that. I have them. You have them. Christians, I think, ought to engage politically. They should run for office, all that. We have a number of people in this church who have run for office. There's one right there, John Heinrich. He's a good guy. You know, we should be involved in these things. It is our democratic responsibility, a responsibility, in fact, that the writers of the New Testament never imagined possible. It's just that Jesus isn't political. If he was, he would have never gone to the cross. He would have never been rejected by his own people because he would have done what his own people wanted him to do. And instead of suffering, he would have unseated Rome. He would have set up his own fiefdom right here on earth, the political Jesus. It's a form of false teaching. Let me give you another example, the permissive Jesus. We talked about this in June when we studied the book of Jude. The permissive Jesus says, do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, with whomever you want to do it, because Jesus doesn't care. God is grace, God is love, and who are you to judge me? But as Pastor Jeff addressed so well, so ably, um, a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus tells us not to 
judge. He is not telling us to, to, to never make any judgments at all. He, he, he can't be saying that because shortly after that, he does that. He himself makes some serious judgments. Jesus didn't die simply to FedEx us to heaven. He died to leave us not the same, but to change us. He didn't die so that we might have the same set of problems year after year after year. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message we've been studying for weeks now, months now. We don't have to wait to go to heaven to change. We can change today. So false prophets, the political Jesus... The permissive Jesus. How about this one? The poisonous Jesus. Love God, hate your neighbor. There's a lot of that out there. From the radicals who protest funerals, holding signs. And even to those of us who sometimes post uncharitable religious comments on social media. We have to be careful that we are not following a poisonous teacher. Who else? The prosperous Jesus. Follow Christ and you too can get rich. You too can have it all. And that message is very popular. It works very well in Western culture, but not only is it not biblical and untrue, but it is received very poorly in the rest of the world. In the developing world, where people have little to no chance of ever being rich. How about this one? The pull yourself up by the bootstraps, Jesus. God helps those who help themselves. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Mind over matter, a little bit of Jesus, and a lot of self-help. Me, me, me. You see, false prophets, false teachings are everywhere. I could list many others. These were just some that came to mind. And of course, some ideas are more dangerous than others. And don't get me wrong, there is a difference between false prophets and false teaching. I mean, I sometimes inevitably get it wrong and inevitably will teach you something that maybe is not quite true, that does not make me a false prophet, because that's not my intention. Desire part is to stay true to this book, but not everyone shares that heart. The desire of my heart is not to be informed by the systems of this world, but to be informed by Jesus. And so Jesus says these false prophets, these people who deliberately, routinely teach you things that are untrue, he says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, at first glance, they seem nice. Bah. Right. Some of them, by a certain measure in the church, even make really fine pastors. They're caring and they're compassionate. But watch out, because notice, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, if you can try to avoid false teaching, maybe you should. 
No, no, he says, watch out. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious, ravenous wolves. I grew up eating a lot of lamb, uh, a lot of it. My mom is Middle Eastern in descent, and every time I go home, every time she comes here to visit, she's coming here at Christmas, and she's packing lamb in her suitcase every time she comes. It's true. She makes stuffed grape leaves with lamb, rice, and grape leaves, and she packs them in her suitcase. Whenever we get together in my family, we eat lamb. And if you go to the Middle East today, which you can with Pastor Wayne and Pastor Jeff in 2021, what you're going to see is sheep everywhere. To this day, even with all the progress in our world and farming, shepherds are everywhere, and they're practicing shepherding just like they always have. And anyone who loses enough sheep to a wolf will go out of business. I know this statement, wolves in sheep's clothing in our culture, has almost become cliche, almost benign, but that's not how it's meant to be. Think of it as the little red riding hood. My, what big ears you have, grandmother. My, what big eyes. The consequences are dire. If you follow a false prophet, you're going to end up like that false prophet. Luke 6, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Spoiler alert, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, she gets swallowed whole. False prophets, Jesus says they're out there, whether it's political or permissive or poisonous or prosperous or pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Whatever they teach, their teaching matters Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, in biblical days, in Old Testament times, in, in particular, New Testament prophecy is something very different. It's, it's, it tends to be encouraging. It's meant to build up the body. But in Old Testament times, a prophet was someone who spoke for God. And so what Jesus here is talking about is that kind of prophet, that kind of person who speaks with an authority and says, I am speaking for God and these people, Jesus says, who are not teaching the truth, who are deliberately misleading people, they are pseudo-prophets. And they only speak for themselves. And you don't go to them, they come to you. And the pages of church history are filled with stories of false prophets and the church's efforts to root them out as the message of Jesus grows century after century after century, so does false teaching. My first point today, I'm finally getting there. Be under no illusion, false prophets exist. And I've met a number of them over the years. My guess is you have too, perhaps without even knowing it. Because a lot of them labor under the umbrella of Christendom. They labor under the umbrella of Christianity. They have Christian degrees and Christian leadership credentials. And they hang out in Christian circles. And yes, many of them even serve in the local church. And if you are not well informed, well, you will very likely say what, very likely enjoy what they have to say. You will very likely be blessed in your imagination by what they have to say. It will be very attractive to you because they will tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. It will align with how you think or want to think. You know, your point isn't so bad. You're right, you know, they say. 
Sometimes they even say your sin isn't so bad. You should celebrate it. I hope when you come to church here, I offend you. Not because I'm being rude or anything like that, but I, I hope you don't agree with everything I say. Because if you do, I'm probably not preaching Jesus. False prophets teach what supports their own agenda. And they teach others to do the same. And in doing so, they make holy what is unholy. And they're very careful about it. They very rarely come out and say, well, I know the Bible says this, but who gives a rip? No one would follow them if they did that. It's much more subtle. They say, well, I know the Bible says this, but have you considered this verse over there? Let me give you a more enlightened point of view. And it sounds clever. And it sounds good. Because they're saying the things we want them to say, it aligns with our agenda, it aligns with our sinful natures. And they say it so well. And most of the time, most people don't even know what they're saying. It goes over their heads. It goes in one ear and out the other. But at the same time, it, it changes people. It shapes people. And the longer people sit under this kind of teaching, the more and more the message of Jesus loses its power in their lives. I remember one time being at a Christmas service. It was Christmas Eve. The pastor, I knew him very well kind of behind the scenes, and because I knew him, I happened to know that he was having an existential crisis, not believing in many of the things that are in this book. And for example, one thing he did not believe, he did not believe in the virgin birth. Now, you wouldn't know that going to his church, because every song they sang on Christmas was all about a virgin, and all about her giving birth, but when it came to his teaching, there was something off, and a careful listener could pick it up. Now again, he didn't come out directly and say, you know, on Christmas Eve, I have an announcement to make, Mary wasn't a virgin. I read an article the other day, it was entitled, How to Know Your Church Isn't Teaching the Bible. Number one, your pastor says, I don't believe in the Bible anymore. Nobody says that. Nobody. No, it doesn't happen like that. I've never heard anyone say that from the pulpit. This pastor I know, while his church is not a hotbed of spiritual fervor, even in his church, he would lose his job if he came out on Christmas Eve and said Mary wasn't a virgin. So he said it indirectly. He didn't talk about the history of the virgin birth. He talked about the narrative of the virgin birth. And what does that word narrative bring to mind? Well, it brings to mind stories and make-believe and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, he, he didn't talk about the reality of angels appearing to the shepherds, and we talked about the tradition of angels appearing to shepherds. My family, we have the tradition of eating lamb, okay? That's a tradition. The angels appearing at Christmas is not a tradition. It's not just a good story. It's not just once upon a time. It's real History. And this guy, his church, loves him. And he is as nice as they get. And he's super smart. But what he is doing, and people under his teaching, people under his leadership, what they are learning over and over again without even knowing it, what, what they are learning is a powerless Jesus. 
And as a result, he is leading a powerless church. Steve, people say, you're so uptight. (laughs) You're so orthodox, so conservative, or whatever. Who cares if Mary was a virgin? It matters. It really does. The student is not above the teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Ideas matter. See, what I'm trying to say is false prophets, they are not always obvious. Instead of being aggressive, they are typically in this country passive-aggressive. Minnesota nice. They get people comfortable. They build trust. They love on them. And then they slowly and deliberately introduce their crazy ideas. And then, bam, false teaching, full on. And then all of a sudden, the church that was once discipled by Jesus is discipled instead by the systems of this world, or worse, by the ruler of this world, Satan. And I know it's sexy. I know it's fun telling people what they want to hear, telling people what they hope to believe true about themselves and the Word and God and the world that God has given us. And I think for so many people, what it gets down to is it doesn't matter if it's true, except it does. And that's why Jesus warns us, watch out. Listen, I know what I'm talking about today. Staying true to Jesus, staying true to what's in here is not sexy. I know that. I'll even predict that very few people will listen to this message online. More will listen to the beginning of this message series when we talked about things like blessed are the poor in spirit and all of that because false prophets and false teaching, that is not something we like to talk about. It's not something I even like to talk about. It's impolite. But at the same time, if we're honest, we do need to talk about because we are intrigued by ideas that are kind of out there. We sort of like them. Whenever someone strays from the norm, we think they're brilliant. It's it's appealing to us. It's brave, we think. It's bold. It's brash. It's something to be valued. And in the left-leaning church, heresy gets institutionalized. They hold meetings, they hear from scholars, they all vote and then drive off the cliff together. And in right-leaning churches, false teaching sets itself up, up against the church and against its leaders. People write and blog and they post all kinds of nonsense online that sounds smart to people, but it isn't true, or at the very least, it is not in the spirit of Christ. And in every case, what happens over time is people begin to wear heresy. They begin to wear false teaching as a badge of honor. Some people even will say about themselves when they play this out too far, I'm a heretic and I'm proud of it. Okay, cool, good for you, 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 know, you rebel. You know. But what about Jesus? And what about your identity in him? What about his leadership in our lives? I remember someone once called me a heretic. Um, and it really kind of hurt my feelings when, when he did. He was a retired pastor, um, a traditionalist. That was his identity, the traditions. 
And that's what mattered to him most. That's what he loved. And, you know, church being, being done in a certain way, in a certain style. And so you can imagine, he did not much like what we do here at all. And when he met me, he, he said to me, he recognized my name. And you couldn't figure out why he recognized my name. He said, Steve Perkins. Steve, Steve, Steve Perkins. He said, you're the heretic. And he pointed his finger at me. But I am not a heretic. I love this book. I love God's church. I hope you know by now I am not interested in teaching a political Jesus or a permissive Jesus or a poisonous Jesus or a prosperous Jesus or a pull yourself up by the bootstraps Jesus. Yes, sometimes I'm political and sometimes I'm permissive and the rest, but that's not my heart. And some people in this church, they, they write me. They think I'm too liberal. They think I'm too conservative. What I am trying to be and what we must all try to be is biblical. That's my heart. I hope that's your heart. I hope our hearts long to follow Jesus, long to learn from this book and to teach others to do the same. Remember what I said last week, you will not find God in resisting him. You will only find God in submitting to him. Still, we don't know what's good for us. If education was the answer, we'd all be brilliant. and We'd all be living wonderful lives. And that's why, if we're honest, we are attracted so much to this kind of dangerous stuff. This stuff that isn't in alignment with Jesus, the subversive, the obnoxious. We love to drift ever so slightly from historic Christian norms because we are enamored with new ideas and new ideologies, a little bit off-center from what the Bible teaches, and it feels good in the moment, but it never ends well, Jesus says. But Lord, Lord, did we not? Get away from me, he says. Get away from me, I never knew you. So here at Northgate, we do our best to teach the Bible, our very best. You know this because I've told you before. I run almost every message I preach, including this one, by a team of people on our staff. Very few pastors are willing to do that, and it's not that they, you know, that I'm better than them for, for doing it, but, but I, I have found that I get into a lot less trouble when I run it by other people. <laughs> and I've also found that some of the things that I was thinking about saying were not true. And the staff holds me accountable in that. They'll say, that's a great idea, but it isn't true. And so our staff's job, one of their many jobs, is to make sure that what I am saying is in alignment with this book. And I understand that some of the things that I say rub people the wrong way. But if it's about Jesus, so be it. You see, see no evil hear no evil, doesn't work. If you've got cancer, someone needs to tell you, you've got cancer. Because in many cases, there are remedies for that cancer. Well, I'd just rather not know. I like things the way they are. Okay, fine, but you're going to die then. Because you're not willing to address that cancer. You're going to die. False prophets exist. That's my first point. Watch out. My second point, and I've touched on this already, their message, you have to understand this, their message is appealing. It aligns with what you already believe. It aligns with what you want to believe. You don't have cancer. You're fine. 
And we all like that. I mean, who doesn't like that? We all like to be affirmed. We all like people to say you are justified in behaving the way you are behaving. False prophets will tell you what you want to hear even if it isn't true. And we like it and we feel better because of it. I don't have cancer. You know, that growth the size of a grapefruit on my backside, it's just a cyst. And to be honest, I kind of like it there. I've grown used to it. It fills out my jeans a little in the back. looks good. And it's all about me and reinforcing what I already believe, that I'm a good person and that I think the right way and I do things the right way and I'm right and they're wrong, but that's very different than the message of Jesus, which is not you're better than you think. The message of Jesus is I've got bad news for you. You're worse than you think. And without God, You're in trouble. You're drowning. And you need a good old-fashioned rescue. It's very different than the way of the cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think of Jeremiah 23. It addresses false prophets. It says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes these false prophets. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. And really what they're saying basically is, if you don't like what's in here, that's cool, that's fine. If it doesn't align with your agenda and your thinking and your way of life, ignore it then. And read the parts of the Bible you enjoy reading. You want to journey away from God and what he has for you? False prophets say, go for it. You're on God's side no matter what you do. It's Adam and Eve all over again. God tells them, do not eat from the forbidden tree. Do not eat the fruit on that tree. If you do, you will die. What do they do next? They eat the forbidden fruit. Why? Because Satan comes to them in the form of a serpent, and he says, you will not surely die. God's not like that, Satan says. I mean, what kind of God would he be if he killed you simply for eating that fruit? Fruit's good for you. It's one of the major food groups. Anytime you hear a teaching that directly or indirectly denies God's word, you are very likely listening to a false teacher. You are listening to someone who is on the wide road or at least flirting with it. And the fruit's obvious. Maybe not at first, but eventually you'll see it as the fruit begins to develop. That lemon tree is a lemon tree. Despite what it says, it's not an apple tree, it's a lemon tree. It's bitter and it's sour. Now, I suspect some of you are thinking, what is this all about? I mean, who cares? What's this got to do with me today, with my life? It's got everything to do with you. It's got everything to do with me. I am under no illusion that I am the the only preacher that you listen to. Far from it. And I am thankful that you listen to all kinds of other preachers, radio preachers, And there's nothing wrong with getting lots of information from other places, TED Talks, talk radio, news outlets, C-SPAN. I'm not sure anyone watches C-SPAN. But podcasts, all, all of these 
different things. Fight. I mean, listen to those things, but listen with discernment. Because anytime you listen to someone in the messages, it's okay to do something God tells you not to do. Whether it's in a political way, or a permissive way, or a poisonous way, or a prosperous way, or a pull yourself by the, up by the bootstraps way, you are listening to false teaching. This teaching that we have today, I mean, maybe it seems random to you, but it is not random. It is throughout the New Testament. It's hugely central. It's very important to Jesus. It's so important that he wraps up this inspirational message, the Sermon on the Mount, with it. And every book in the New Testament that follows, the Holy Spirit addresses false teaching as well. It strikes me that the Bible spends so much effort, so much time, so much energy paying attention to false teaching and addressing false teaching. I mean, you think the authors of the Bible would have spent more time on self-help topics, like how to get yourself thrown into a lion's den, you know, or how not to get burned alive at the stake. They didn't. Even under those conditions, they focused a lot of their time on false teaching. And why? Because they knew what we do not know a lot of times, that what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves and the world matters. It informs how we relate to God. It informs how we relate to one another. And most of us in the 21st century church are not being shaped by this book enough. We're shaped by the systems of this world. That's how we are shaped first and foremost, and then we supplement with this. But Jesus didn't die so that we might keep on living life as usual. He died to set us free, free from the norms of this world, free from its standard of morality or lack thereof. Jesus died to save us, yes, he did. But he also died to change us, to help us become the people God purposed us to be. This time of year, it's Christmas, right? We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Not so we could keep on doing whatever we're doing. Not so that we could keep on serving the systems of this world. He died to change us. To bring the kingdom of heaven to us, into our lives right now. So he warns us, watch out. Watch out. False teachers are out there. And they are doing what they have always done, telling us what we want to hear instead of what God wants us to hear. And so my prayer is that what I have said today is what God wants you to hear. It's what God wants you to say. That's why we study the Bible the way we do. That's why we have long seasons like this in the church when we look at Scripture, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line. It informs us. We don't inform it. And I hope in doing so, I have challenged every single one of you in this room today in some way. I hope I have made every single one of you in this room uncomfortable in some way. Please, whatever you do, don't hear this message today for other people. That's what the Pharisees did. They only heard the message for other people. Let's hear it for ourselves. Let's pray. So Jesus, we take your uh, warning seriously and we repent. 
We just say it right now. We like false teaching. We like it. And that's because we confess to you, we are so invested in the systems of this world and how they operate, and we are not yet invested in your kingdom. And we listen to the systems of this world. Maybe it's our upbringing, what we hear on TV, whatever it is. We listen to those systems more than we listen to you. And we, we just corporately say, again, we're sorry. Help us to reject false prophets and false teaching, and help us instead to embrace the life of your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. All right, not the lightest message, I understand, and I've been racking my brain all week. How can we end on a light note today? And uh, last year we started a little tradition. I want to do it again this year. We're going to sing a Christmas carol together, and I'm going to play very poorly the piano. So let me invite you to stand. And I really want you to belt it out, because otherwise you'll hear my wrong notes. And uh, belt it out. Let's worship. Receive God's blessing, and now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Our prayer team will be up here. Make use of them. Turn around and say hi to someone. Jesus loves you. I love you. All right, thanks for watching. Want to let you know about two things you can do. First, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. 
Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11. And second, if you're feeling this ministry and want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.